If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the second book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to look at one verse today. We're going to be looking in verse 9, and this is what verse 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. When you look at the second book of Corinthians there in the middle, chapters 8 and 9, the context is amazing. It's just talking about giving. Paul is coming to this church to pick up an offering that they had promised a year before uh, to give to the saints in Jerusalem because there was a, a great persecution in Jerusalem. And many people were thrown out of their houses. They were um, cut out from their jobs, and they really had no means of support. These were, these were brothers of the church in Corinth that had never met them. They had No one had ever seen them before. Many of the many of the church members in Corinth were Gentile people. This was a, a huge city. Uh, Corinth was on the on the Aegean Sea. It was a huge metropolitan, uh, like a New York City, and many of them were not Jewish people. And many of the many of the Christians in Jerusalem were Jews that had come to the to the Lord at the preaching of the apostles, and as a result were were in great need. So Paul was coming through, and he was talking about taking up an offering. And he was wanting them to be generous. He wanted the, he wanted the people to give to each other as, in some ways, to show their love for God. But in his description of this, he gives one of the most beautiful Christmas verses in the Bible that I think. Because... In order for God to show grace to us, we have to see what it cost him. Grace means nothing to us. Have you ever had someone who has expected you to do everything and not even a thank you, and never, not even in their mind a thank you? It wasn't like that they forgot to tell you. They expect you to do whatever it is, and they're just going to take it and go with it. <laughs> I... I am around 150 teenagers all day long, and I've never seen that. It's just built into them that they expect you to do all things for them, and they wouldn't even think about you, wouldn't even think about you. I guess um, Emma loves to talk about teenagers and sing about teenagers. Just this whole idea that you're you're thoughtless. Maybe that's all it is. It's a self-conceited kind of a, you're looking at yourself. Well, there's no one like humans to be this way. There's only one in the ten of the lepers that ever came back and said thank you. Because we think about ourselves and we think about our needs. And if you are going to meet our needs, fine. But it doesn't really mean that you've invaded my space. I simply now have what I want and I can go on with my life. And we're the same. So when this says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... You, it makes you pause. First of all, he's talking to Christians, obviously. He's talking to this church. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so you're thinking, okay, what's grace? Grace is that for no reason at all, God is showing you kindness. For nothing you've done, for nothing that you've earned, for nothing, for nothing in you, God is showing you kindness. And so 
you could simply just say thanks or not to say thanks at all and just go on with your life as God gives it to you. But Paul is making you stop because he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. So it stops us in the tracks and makes us think the grace of God that's involved us, do we have any hope at all, is the grace of God. If, if the grace of God is not on me, then I have no hope. Only the grace of God is my hope. But the grace of God is expensive, very expensive, so expensive that the Lord Jesus Christ that gives you this grace, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor. So as I'm thinking about this, I like preaching one verse because you really, instead of a whole story that you go from, you're simply pulling from the parts of this sentence. And so I'm, look, I'm going to pull from this sentence. First of all, there's the grace of the Lord Jesus that makes poor people rich. We'll look at that at the end. That'll be the number three. Then I think the second phrase that says, though he was rich. So we're going to look at Jesus, the rich, the richest of rich. No one has ever started as rich and as high as Jesus. There is no one like it. He's, he's matchless. He's peerless. There is no one even close to who he is and what he has. Like, what does he possess? What is his wealth? It's, it's so different from everybody else that there is no real comparison. You can't compare him, but the Bible speaks of his, of his wealth. And then we'll look in the second point. For your sakes, he became poor. So we're going to look at what does the poverty of Jesus and what does that mean because there is no one that was ever as poor as Jesus. Strange. No one is ever as rich and no one is ever as poor. So really Paul is speaking to these people who he's asking to take up an offering simply, but he's asking them to be like Jesus in a way Follow him in a way of being self-emptying, to empty themselves because of love. That is love there. Is there love there that you have? And does that love do something in your heart the same way that God's love, for your sakes, he became poor, who was rich? When uh, the angel comes to Joseph in a dream, he says... This is in Matthew 1. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, the idea that Jesus will save them, you have to to stop sometimes, and really because I I would have to stop myself to ask this question, what does it cost him to save? If he's going to save, he doesn't save like a superman that kind of sweeps out of the sky and does something does something that costs himself nothing, no effort, you know. I don't know if you ever saw the Superman movie where they shot him in the eyeball and, not, and the bullet bounces off of his eyeball. That, that whole idea that, like, he can't be hurt, he can't be harmed. He's simply going to sweep in and save the day. Um, but Jesus is not a superhero. He's not an action hero. Jesus came... From the highest of high, there's no, there's no comparison, there's no English words, no human words to express what this means. He condescended. 
He came so low and was born as a human. I could have said born in a barn or born in a, in a, and laid in a, in a trough. But he was so low because he was born as a person. He was born as a man. That's as low as it gets. He came to us. Emmanuel means God with us. He came to do something that we had to have done. And there was no one else to do. There was no one that could have done what Jesus Christ the Lord did. And he emptied himself to do it. That salvation was not a salvation like a Superman salvation. That salvation cost God everything. It cost God everything. And then that's, that's absolutely hard to fathom, that God would be at a loss, that God would be lessened, that God would be made low is too hard to understand. Because just the, if you think about God in a conceptual way, God is invincible. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He can't be stopped. He can't be foiled. He is God. That's what you use as a, as a description. He's God. But God did something for us. By being born to Mary as a baby, he came so low and then he went lower. And even to humans, he was low. Even to all of us, he was born lower than we were ever born. He had nothing. And then he died unjustly as a criminal and a blasphemer when he was the only one that's ever loved God appropriately. So when you think of his riches, it's too hard to think about. And when you think of his poverty, it's too hard to think about. And when you think about his love, that he did it for our sakes, it's truly too hard to think about. So I'm not going to say, so let's sing our last hymn. I'm going to just try to say what can't be said in a small way. But it cost the Lord everything to save our souls. It cost him everything. We have no idea what he went through. We have no idea how hard that road was because we will never have to walk it. Because we were saved. We did not save ourselves. We were saved by someone strong enough to save us and someone who had love towards us to do it. So let's first of all look at the wealth We'll look at the wealth and prosperity. What does it mean that Jesus was rich? Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. I wrote down Jesus is as rich as God is rich. Whatever it means for God to be rich, that's what Jesus was. There, when you think of rich, I, our concept of rich has to do with possessions. You have possessions or you don't have possessions. You have resources or you don't have resources. Um, a person who is in poverty has no resources. They don't have anything to call upon to do the things they need to be done. A person that we would call rich simply has resources that at whatever moment, if there is a need, that need could be met by something that they already have. Well, that is what God is. God is self-resourceful. There is nothing that he needs. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need worshipers. He doesn't need servants. He doesn't need us at all. He loves us. That's different. 
You don't have children to mow, even though that's what I've told my girls since they were born. I had you so that you could mow. I don't like mowing, so we had children. And I, I, ask, I act like, of course that's the reason. Now, the only time that the girls have ever mowed, we took their picture so that we could prove that that's why we had children. But I think they've done it once in their whole life, all right? But this is from Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Jesus owns it all. He created it. It belongs to him. There is nothing that we possess that's not his. Your car, if you have a car, is deeded to you as a loan from Jesus Christ. Your, the, the bread in your bread box and, the, and the, the fish in your freezer and everything that you've ever used, everything that you own, everything that you hoard, everything that is your precious doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. The people who, who respond to Jesus in faith, all their stuff belongs to God. And the, the people who hate God, all the breath in their lungs and the, is, belongs to God. There's nothing that is not his. He is creator. But I really think that that's too small of a statement to make because that's not the richness of God. The, the, the financial resources of Jesus Christ is not what we're talking about. This is not what Paul was min- meaning. Now, remember the context is I'm taking up an offering, and I know that you all have some and don't have some, and you have, but do you have love towards people who are suffering that are your brothers and sisters that you will be in eternity with? Do you love these people you don't know? Is there something that God through the Holy Spirit has done in your heart that's a miracle? to make you love people that you don't know because they love the one that you love, that there's a relationship that you have. Is there something in you that God did? But yet, he's not talking about Jesus. He's, he's using Jesus as the, ultimate, as the ultimate one who self-emptied and gave out of love. But he's not talking about his things. He's not talking about the cattle on a thousand hills. Not here. The richness of Jesus was not in his possession of the universe, though the universe belongs to him. The richness of Jesus Christ is in the glory that only belongs to God. Jesus is the possessor of all glory. It's it's majesty that belongs to no one else. Like the words only fit when you apply them to Jesus. The magnificence only fits when it's applied to Jesus. His glory and his honor and his majesty and his magnificence are things that belong to Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ, who he is. Not because he's our creator. Not because he created all the gold in the mountains. That's not why he's rich. He's rich because he's rich. He's rich because of who he is. It's his personhood that's rich. It's his radiance that's why he's rich. When he was about to die on the very last day, he, he prayed in the garden. He said, oh, now, oh, Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
There was nobody that came that low. Nobody that was that high that came anywhere. There's never been anyone so high that could come from so high. Only Jesus was as high as, as Jesus has been. No one else has ever been there. You can't compare it. So, the, so I wrote down Isaiah 9. This is a Christmas passage. And I just want you to see his wealth, right? We'll go through it, and you've, you've read this a thousand times in your life. Let's look at his wealth. Let's look at who he is and what he has and what does he possess. What is the wealth of Jesus Christ? This is Isaiah's uh, a promise made to Isaiah of Jesus and who Jesus is. Who is this person? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If this is the person who Jesus Christ is, then his glory, his magnificence, his, his honor, his, his wealth is shown by who he is. This is who he is. He's a wonderful counselor. There's no genius like Jesus Christ. There's no genius at all like him. He's the only wise, Paul called him, the only wise, the only one that thinks clearly, the only one that sees properly, the only one that can do something about what he's seeing. Have you ever saw something out of your eyes and all you knew to do was wring your hands? You're in, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Tell me more and more about the truth of this world and I just want to faint. I can't do anything about it. But Jesus Christ is perfectly free. He's the only being in the universe that can do as he pleases. He is wise. He understands. His understanding is fathomless. He has limitless resources of comprehension and understanding. This is the Jesus who died on the cross for us. It says he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. The mighty God. Not just mighty meaning strong, but he's God. He's the mighty God. He's the dread sovereign. The dread sovereign. He's the one that would, that you could not stand in his presence. You couldn't even look upon his radiance. He dwells in inapproachable light. This is his, this who he is. He's the omnipotent king of kings. That people who think that they're in power He's the power of those people. He's Lord Sabaoth. Did you ever, ever do a mighty fortress as our God? Lord Sabaoth, his name, means the God of armies. Of armies. Of, he controls it all. He's the commander-in-chief of all things that happen. He's the one that can do it. There isn't any wealth like that. Wealth is so that you can have power. He has all of it. There isn't anything that he needs. He doesn't need to, to look at his, at his bank account in order to do the things he wants to do. He can act in himself as he pleases. He raised himself from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. I laid down my life and I can draw it up again. He is limitless in his abilities. He's the everlasting father. He's the father of eternities. That's what it says, the father of eternities. Tell me what that means. I have a slice idea what that means. 
He's the eternal father. He acts like a father acts. He wants to protect. He wants to look. He wants to keep going. The girls and I were on the the street in Huntington a couple days ago in a seedy place. You wouldn't have believed how vigilant I was. I knew everything that was going on around me. I knew everything. I, I I knew people that was on other sides of streets two blocks away. I knew everything that was going on because... I, not that I could have done anything, but I promise I would have leapt or done something, screamed like a girl, something would have happened, because I knew what was going on. He's the father that takes care and has pity and has mercy and looks and recognizes that your kid won't say thank you ever, and you love him anyway. You love him like they said thank you. You treat him just like they said thank you, that they love you. He pities us, and he's rich in love and mercy. Rich. There's no other way to say it. That's how Paul chose to say it. This is Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, and in his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he's quickened us together with Christ, for grace by you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. His riches. So he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The prince of peace. The prince meaning he's the he's the the king, that he's the He's the great prince of the state. And the peace that he bought us was at great cost for himself. It's back to grace. The grace that extended to us, that we stand in, that he that to show the exceeding riches of his grace, cost him everything. He paid for it with himself. This is Colossians chapter 1. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things to himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. He reconciled all things to God through the blood of his cross. That's how he did it. And he made peace. We're rich. We have peace with God. God doesn't hate you. If you are trusting in his son, if you've repented of your sins and turned from them to Jesus, you have to turn your back on your sins to turn to Jesus. You can't have it both. If you've turned your back on your sins through whatever feeble power we have and turned to Jesus with nothing but hope in his word, then that in itself is peace with God. You are at peace. You have nothing to fear. The only thing we had to fear is God. There is nothing in this world to fear. I fear God. And I thank God at peace with God through the blood of his cross. He's the prince of peace. He paid for it by himself. He is in himself intrinsically rich. And he paid all of it for us, which makes me Absolutely nothing but love him. He paid all. He paid it all, all to him. We owe.
So that's the riches of Christ, terribly done, terribly, terribly full of holes. What does the richness of Christ mean? It'll take our eternity to know the richness of Christ. You'll know, you will, you will be dazzled full time as you look upon the wealth of your dread sovereign. You, you can't imagine it. It will be spectacular in all ways. And he gave it for us. He traded it all, all of it for us. So the poverty of Jesus. When we look at the condensation, I said that again, condescension. Condensation is when you get wet, wet on your bathroom window. Condescension is when someone comes low and Jesus came from high and went low. And he humbled himself. He emptied himself. In order to fulfill God's plan of salvation, he did it. He did it with himself being the only one who was bared the cost. So, the, so he divested. He, like, he took what he was and he didn't use it. He's the only one that had fame. He's the only one that had glory. He's the only one that had wealth. And he divested and did not use it. He had the right to use it. There's no one that had the right to use it as he had the right and he did not use it. He emptied himself. He descended. He stooped down to help. He didn't stoop down like God looking upon Babel to smirk. He stooped down that he might help us. That he put himself in the story. He put himself into time. He put himself into this world to breathe the dust of Bethlehem. That's what he did. He came low. He descended. For our sakes, he became poor. Now, how do you preach that? How do you, what do you say? I, I'd have no idea. What do I say? For your sakes, he became poor? I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it and let God's word just sit there. For your sakes, he became poor. You can't doubt God's love. You can't. You cannot doubt it at Christmas. You can't doubt it. He did it all. He came as low as could be out of love for you. That's what it says. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. He saw my ruin. He saw my sin. He saw my opposition. He saw my revolt. He saw my defiance. He saw my in your face. He saw my absolute running with my full body towards reckless self-harm and total disregard for what God is and who, who, what he said. As though I couldn't care less. I was his absolute in your face enemy. And he saw that and came to me. He did not look upon me and say, oh, what a sweet kid. I like his face. I'm going to do something for him. He looked at me, his enemy, and saw my ruin. He saw that I was marred. I, I, I was an image bearer of, his, of, his, of himself and marred completely. Everything in me was destroyed. I destroyed myself. There was nothing left. I was a wreck. I was a train wreck. And there is nothing to lift me up. No reason. There was no reason at all other than his love for me. Why? I can't answer that. 
That's within the eternal counsels of God only. God never revealed that. God revealed that he came to you. He revealed that he loved you. He, re- he revealed that he'll trade a city for you. But he did not say why that's true. It's who he is. And it's why it makes him wonderful. Because he's so unlike me. So if you, if you look at someone like me, eternally condemned and owns it, and Jesus, as my kinsman redeemer, came in and paid fully what I blew, and it cost him himself. It didn't just cost him his bank account. It cost him his very life, and he didn't just die on a cross. Lots of people died on crosses, lots and lots of people. People still die on crosses. Jesus faced the wrath of God fully and drank it down every drop. What does that mean? Who could possibly say what the wrath of God is? The wrath of God against unrighteousness. He stood there with all of our sin on him. He became sin for us and God destroyed him. And he took it all. That is the poverty of Jesus Christ. It's not the fact that he was born in a manger. He was born in a stable. Yes, he was born in a stable. They laid him in a feed trough. Yes, they did. The first person to gaze upon God were animals. That's a mystery that nobody can understand. Yes, and it's true. And yes, he said in Matthew, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But that's not the poverty of Jesus. The poverty of Jesus is that he emptied himself completely as he stood before the wrath of God his own law that he did not break, but that he stood as a blasphemer and died in our place. Because he loved us, he became poor for us. The first and foremost, Jesus willingly gave up his design, his divine status and his power to take on human form and live in humanity. This is what we've done, we've read in John. As we prepared for Christmas for two months, this is the incarnation. This is John 1.14. We looked at it for weeks. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. He became man. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. That's poverty. There's no one ever made so poor. He also lived a simple and humble life. And it does ask us to follow that. Do you sell all and go and follow Jesus? One thing you lack, go and sell it all and come and follow me. Is that what he wants? Do we, do we sell everything and go and follow Jesus? I'm not sure what that means. And it would mean different things in different contexts. I promise you that I could give you all the money in my sock drawer and still be a wicked man. There's no benefit to me. Do you see? I, and, and I could give my body to be burned and it not still have any love in it. I think it's very possible, and people have done it. But this is the idea that God emptied himself completely, as low as it could be. Jesus willingly accepted suffering and death on the cross. He paid it all. It can't be described. can't be even talked about. Not fully. Not with really understanding. So let's look at the last. The grace of Jesus that makes his poor children rich. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. This says something, I I think it's interesting. You know the grace. He's talking to believers, and yes, I know the grace, and I don't know it fully. I don't know what the full grace of God is towards me, but I know that there's been grace. I'm alive and not dead. There's been grace to me. I have been given blessing after blessing like the waves coming in on the shore. I know it. I know what the grace of God is. But But Paul is saying, you know grace, but you need to be taught that grace is bigger than you think it is. You know grace, whatever that little definition in your heart is. And then Paul, just to kind in a soft way, said, Though for your sakes, he who is rich became poor, that you might be rich. That's what grace is. Grace is bigger than you think it is and given to you fully. You have more than you know what you have. You have limitless supply of ability because God gave it to you and you don't even know what you have. It would be like giving giving a five-year-old a savings bond for a million dollars. Okay, you think, okay, you, I gave you some money. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean fully enough, but yet it's theirs. It's yours. The grace of God towards you is all. He has no offense towards you. He who gave his son, this is what Rick read, gave his son. No, Rhonda. Will he not yet give him with you all things? And do you not realize what we have? That, that though we have persecution and sword, yes, but nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing that our, we are rich because he became poor so that we might be rich. When you realize that he has nothing against you, and that's richness, that's full richness, and that's to me, I love him. That's, that's the only response. I love him. I love him. It's piled on. John one sixteen that we read this month, we have all received of his fullness grace, Grace, for grace, for grace, for grace, for grace. That came by Jesus Christ. And I looked at this verse that we've read and I preached on it two Sundays. And with fresh eyes, as I looked at Jesus being poor for me, I looked and said, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ at his expense. Suddenly I'm like, grace to me came as he paid for it. That's why it came to me. He came to it because he who is rich for my sake became poor. I'm like, oh my goodness. It wasn't God giving me the law and saying, this is what you must do to be like me. And then letting me go to hell. He, Jesus came and did it all that I might have grace. And now I can see grace. And to a believer, that makes love. Christmas is simply, I love you, God, for what you've done. Look at what you did. Look at what our God did. So if you are unfaithful, well, maybe you're being honest for the first time. Come. That is who is invited. There's not a, a, a communion service that I don't say, if you're, not a, if you're not unworthy, don't come. Only the unworthy are allowed to come because you have to know that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus. Those are the ones that are invited. And those are the ones that are welcome because all things have been given to you. You just don't know what your riches are. You don't know what that means. Grace came. That, that 
makes poor believers rich. I chose to read Philippians 2 right at the end because I think of all the passages in the Bible that would support this verse, this is it, all right? And it's talking about Jesus coming as low as he could possibly come, and for that reason, God exalting him. And then we are called to do that. We're called to take up our cross and follow him, meaning that we trace his steps behind him. He is not just a model for us. He is the leader. He's the one we follow. He is our Lord, and we follow him doing as he does, living like he does, denying ourselves, saying no to ourselves that we might have some ability to reach out in kindness to others. That's what we are. That's what makes the Christian Christians different. That's a different, it's a different mindset than, than even we have without Christ. This is Philippians 2, and I'll end with this. If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of, of accord in one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Do you see where Paul is going with this? I want you to be humble in yourself, in the way you live, in the way your choices are made, in what you do day by day, minute by minute. I want you to live low in your own mind, thinking of all other people as better than yourselves, being lowly, and also being unified. That all of you together be this. That Christians together be different from all other people. Not just nice people who think they're nice people. But that you are unified and low. And you are low like Jesus. Let nothing be done through vainglory, uh, strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, why? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you see why we're called Christians? Christians. We follow Christ. That it's, it's not a matter of our, our souls are saved. Fine. We follow Christ now. We, our prison door is opened. There's light for the first time. Our eyes are still stinging, and we follow Jesus the way Jesus lived, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to equal to be God. Jesus was God and knew he was God and didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God because he was God. He accepted worship. The, the rocks would have cried out if the people hadn't done it. So he knew he was God, but he made himself of no reputation. He did it himself. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. That's the lowness of Christ. That's the poverty of Jesus. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. The, the manger wasn't it. The manger was the start. He lowered himself and lowered himself and lowered himself and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. It was too low for them. It was only for criminals. It was only for foreigners. 
And Jesus was obedient to death, even the death on the cross, as low as it could possibly be, even for low people, they thought that to be lower than they could possibly imagine. Wherefore, for this reason, God also highly exalted him and has given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He came low, but he is not low. Jesus is exalted to the highest place. He earned it. And in his love that made him go low for us, he made us rich, that we would be co-heirs with him, completely with him, Always looking at his face, always being where he is. That's his desire. And he wants us to know it, that we would know the grace of God that made it happen and that we would love it and that we would love him and that our lives would be changed. So that's my Christmas wish for you, for me, for all of us. Merry Christmas.